Welcome, everybody, to our first podcast of Our Experience. It's an ASCP podcast, and it's about the origin story. I'm Chad Wurz. I'm the chief executive for ASCP. I'm also a long-time, long-term care pharmacist. So I graduated in the late 90s. I'm an old-school post-BS PharmD, but I went right into long-term care pharmacy and have experienced long-term care pharmacy for that whole last 20 something years. And our goal today and with this podcast is to really bring out the history of long-term care pharmacy, the history of senior care pharmacy, and talk about the movers, the shakers, the innovators, and how we got to where we are and a little bit about where we're going as an industry. And I'm joined by a longtime long-term care pharmacist, Tom Hansel, and I'll let him introduce himself. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Chad. And it is a true pleasure to be here and co-host our experience with you. Yes, I am a longtime long-term care pharmacist, but I'm also a longtime member of ASCP. And when you gave me this opportunity to come and, and co-host with you, I, I jumped at it because I really believe, first of all, I get to do it with my friend Chad. But secondly is I really believe that we can make a difference. I believe we can provide pharmacies with opportunities to help overcome challenges that they have today. I believe that we're going to be able to present them with innovative strategies and innovative ideas that maybe could forge them forward in, in certain ways. And then also be able to promote long-term care pharmacies and promote the voice of long-term care pharmacies so we can have a stronger voice to help battle the issues that we're facing each and every day in, in healthcare. Yeah, and I think we're, we're at an interesting time. We're, we're really on the precipice of a definition of long-term care pharmacy from a federal perspective. We're in a unique time in healthcare. We're coming out of a pandemic, which really redefined pharmacists across the profession, but in particular, those that worked with older adults in long-term care settings, assisted living and skilled nursing. And it's always been sort of my philosophy to be able to recognize and understand history as a predicate for moving forward. Like we have to understand where we came from or we're really not gonna understand where we're going. And this is probably one of the more unique aspects of pharmacy with a somewhat recent history from a year's standpoint, but by the same token, one that is really positioned for what's coming next in terms of our population. We're gonna be dealing with lots of older adults. In the next six years, we're gonna see 20 million more people over the age of 65. And that's profound shift in a population. You're going from 57 million to 74 million. And that's not in any way, shape or form small or something that we can just sort of adjust on the fly to take care of. We have to be ahead of this a little bit. And I think being able to go back, talk to some of the people that have shaped this industry, ask them what they understood about it at the time they were building their businesses or, or making their innovations, I think helps the younger generation right now see what they're doing and where they need to focus and what they need to be thinking about as we look at the next 50 something years of, of long-term care pharmacy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree completely. And you hit the nail on the head. History is really the best indication of where we're going in the future and to learn from that history. And you know, I, I'm always, I'm kind of a pharmacy nerd. You know, I've always enjoyed kind of getting in there and, and figuring out, you know, what happened and why did this came to be and, and how did this end up happening the way that it did? And and I've been doing this a long time as you have, but we still have a lot to learn. And so it's very, going to be very interesting to interview and talk to some of these people that came maybe a generation before us and, and find out their perspective and, and why things developed the way they did. 
Yeah. I think one of the things I think will be interesting, and we've, we've done some homework on this topic for this first origin story show, but I think one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, pharmacy is a business like a lot of businesses. There's a lot of commonality to the maturity and progression of an industry over time. We'll probably make references to McDonald's and fast food. And, and what are the things that, that those industries have done that are similar to what long-term care pharmacy has gone through? But we'll go back to the, the very beginning. And I tell this story a lot. I've been at ASCP in this position for five years. I've been a member of this organization for 23, 24 years since I graduated, I went right into long-term care. And my interpretation of history kind of begins where my career begins. I knew a little bit of what had led up to the pharmacy that I worked at out of school. But beyond that, I really didn't have an appreciation for who came before. I certainly didn't know who George Archambault was. I didn't know who Richard Berman was, who were the people that stood up ASCP and really were the innovators and, and pioneers of long-term care pharmacy. I anticipate, and this is what I've picked up over five years, that you know in the late 60s, when we had some of the shifts in Medicare, Medicaid, we had the, the dawning of a nursing home, which you know, in all fairness was more of a rest home in those days that the term consultant pharmacist referenced the nursing home and their personnel consulting the corner drugstore and saying, hey, how do we take care of these 60, 80, 100, 120 people that we have living in this new environment? And how can you help us do that? And that's where I think the term consultant pharmacist, and that's the origin story. I think that's where it all starts way back in the 60s. Yeah, I was reading a little bit more up on this and there was a split in, in America where I believe American society, hospital pharmacy wanted to be more clinical and to go after the, the clinical aspects of a pharmacist and, and how we could help in medication management. But American Pharmacy Association actually wanted to stay with dispensing. And so there was a struggle within the pharmacy community going back and forth saying, how should we move forward? And you got to think up until 1950, being a pharmacist was was really, really cool. You, you sat there and, and made your concoctions and compounded and you were the local, you know, doctor and si- mad scientist, if you will. During prohibition, pharmacists were the only ones that could legally sell alcohol. And so they're very popular. <laughs> and then you, and the, the, during the soda fountain times, pe- people don't realize, but there was cocaine and caffeine in, in the soda fountains and pharmacists were, were pouring up regular shots of this stuff, you know, and so it must've been re- really cool to be a pharmacist, you know, back then, of course, you know, some things like cocaine got outlawed and, you know, prohibition ended it, but, but the biggest change for long-term care pharmacy, I believe, like you said, happened when, when Medicare and Medicaid came out and became formal. And all of a sudden we said, okay, these citizens here in America called geriatrics or seniors, they're set apart and they have different needs because of their elderly status. And that pushed forward the need for ASCP. Yeah. And I think a lot of the Things that you said, you know, bring back memories of like pharmacy, like Coca-Cola was invented by a pharmacist and it had cocaine in it. (laughs) It's a Wonderful Life has a a wonderful storyline around a pharmacist and how, you know, that caused a a, a community issue. So there's a lot of history in pharmacy that occurred before sort of long-term care pharmacy or nursing home pharmacy sort of emerged. But I like the way you describe it, particularly around what other professional associations and societies were thinking at the time, because 
Long-term care pharmacy has always suffered from being relatively unknown. In some ways, I will describe a long-term care pharmacy as kind of like the basement hospital pharmacy, only instead of servicing nine floors of a hospital, they're servicing a three-hour radius around their pharmacy that's not one you can walk into. It's in an industrial park somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's closed door, which are all topics and definitions you have to explain to people because most people don't get that. They don't recognize that. And I think the, the divinity of long-term care pharmacy, if you will, is that from 1969 and the late 60s when this all started, it started to evolve on two planes. That first plane being, how do we package? How do we deliver? How do we logistically supply nursing facilities with medications and make sure they're safe, stored properly? And then there's the whole clinical component. Now, what do we do with the person that's taking six, eight, 10, 12 medications? And how do we make sure that it's safe and effective and it's working for them? Those two planes are how this whole industry kind of developed. And it's now coming to this incredible intersection of the innovation in the pharmaceutical sciences, where we have all kinds of medications, niche medications, medications built for you know, subpopulations of people that are specific and this exploded baby boomer population that takes a lot of these medications. So, you know, one of the reasons I took this role at ASCP was seeing that and recognizing that the only person positioned to be able to help will end up being the most significant part of the population is a pharmacist that knows how to deal with all those issues. And that pharmacist for the last 50 years has been one that's worked in the long-term care setting with nursing homes and assisted living. And yes, we're servicing people in the community. There are all kinds of different models out there, but the linchpin to what they do is they take care of older adults. And that involves all of that innovation that we've seen over the past 50 years. So when you're thinking about the next generation, the new pharmacists that are out there, they need to know all that. So they can kind of figure out, oh, this is how it kind of came to be and why. And maybe they'll think of the next innovation, the next you know game changer that helps take care of that population because we, we need it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's strange to think back and, and, and look at this. We were all together as far as pharmacist and the end user, whether it was a geriatric or pediatric or just, you know, an in, in, in adult was all treated the same from your local community pharmacy. And then in the 60s, we separated and said, okay, we need to specialize in geriatrics. And now, ironically, 50 years later, it's blending back together, mostly because the seniors at geriatrics are not going to the institutional settings, but they're staying at home. So now we're going to have to go back almost to our original roots, which is we could take care of patients regardless of where they reside. And I think that's really the biggest apex and maybe even struggle for long-term care pharmacies today is grasping or understanding or, or accepting the fact that we're going to have to follow the patients. I like to kind of look at it from the patient's point of view. The geriatric patient deserves to have long-term care pharmacist and long-term care specialist, regardless of where they live. Yep. And I think it's our duty and our responsibility to take our practice out to where the patients are going to reside which is going to be greatly already is and continue to grow in that community setting. Yeah. I think one of the other things that's particularly unique about this aspect of pharmacy is that 
there's this nursing home component, which is very well-defined. You know, there's 15,439 of them. You know, we know this from COVID because we bridged making sure they all got access to vaccines and therapeutics, but it's very defined. And there are a certain number of licensed skilled nursing home beds, and that's it. And that's been it for about two decades. And there isn't a desire for more of these beds. Nobody is saying, let's expand to have another 200 in this state or 500 in this state. It's always looking for something else to take care of people in this age range because there's people don't aspire to end up in a nursing home. They don't want to be in a nursing home. Nursing homes are very expensive from the payer's perspective. And regardless of how you feel about it, when you throttle it and only have so many, you know, quote unquote, parking places for older adults that need that level of service. And that older adult population is growing the way our older adult population is growing. You have to innovate new answers because the nursing home patient admitted today is not going to have the opportunity to be admitted in five years. So whatever their array of comorbidities and problems is, you better have figured out a way to take care of them in an assisted living environment, in a community environment, because what's going to be left for those four million or so Nursing home slots are going to be the most advanced psychosis and dementias, the most acute transitional patients that are coming out of the hospital. And we're going to continue to see that. And, and to some degree, we've seen that over the last few you know, years. There's certainly many more transitional care patients today than there were 10 years ago. And so we have to, we're going to have to do something about that because there's going to be people that live in the margin. They're not what we would consider people that can successfully live independently on their own at home and but they're going to have to Mm -hmm. and so what are we going to do technology wise service wise packaging wise management wise to allow them to do that which again there'll be a desire it'll be less expensive i think from a payer perspective and people would prefer to live at home so we're gonna have to be ready for that and we're gonna have to innovate all kinds of things around that the same way we innovated when this all started 53 years ago What do we, you know, the bingo card, the compliance packaging, delivery services, Mm -hmm. emergency supplies, med cards. Med cards, yeah, I was going to say med cards. (laughs) All the things that, you know, came out of, roughly came out of thin air because we've never done this before. Yeah. How would this be efficient? We're going to have to do it again as we sort of cross this bridge to this enormous population that needs what we do best. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, you hit the, the nail on the head. We almost accept the fact that a med cart's just part of, you know, our normal, you know, normal everyday living. But someone had to invent the med cart and they had to invent it with the nursing home patient in mind, if you will. Going through the whole technology phase of of EMARS and Internet and and where we've come in such a short period of time, really. And and so it's going to be interesting to see what technologies develop. But I think it's also going to be interesting to find out which pharmacies are going to lead us, if you will. You know, George Archambault, Tim Webster, people like that led us as far as a clinical geriatric thought process. We've got to focus on on providing clinical services for this population, the geriatric seniors. And that's now common, a consultant pharmacist and clinical and and us being involved as pharmacist in rounds with the doctors in hospitals and and, and whatnot, that's becoming accepted. Well, someone's gonna have to blaze the trail, if you will, on how can we take our expertise, our knowledge, but to a different setting. And probably at least for now, a lower reimbursement. And we're gonna have to find a way to 
accept some of this reimbursement for now and we'll, we'll keep fighting for higher reimbursement, but accept this reimbursement. So do it within the confines of smaller or lesser reimbursement, but still be able to prove that as a long-term care pharmacy and as long-term care experts, that we're the best positioned to take care of these residents, take care of these patients, I should say, living in a community. Yeah. And it's, and it's arguments that we've had more and more frequently with agencies and government over the past few years because of the pandemic. And it has really put us in a, a position of strength to go back and reference those conversations as it applies to a whole different array of health services. You know, obviously the, the first things we dealt with with the pandemic was we're going to send large retail pharmacists into nursing homes to give shots. And at face value, if you're a government and you're like, well, I can contract with two people and they'll take care of it. That sounds just wildly efficient and wonderful. When you have to explain to them, you know, the average older adult is not one that gets in their car or walks to the corner drugstore and walks in and gets their prescriptions filled that these individuals live in a nursing facility. You almost have to go and explain what that is. Mm -hmm. uh, many people don't know what that is. And I remember the conversations around agency people saying, well, I don't understand. Why can't the nursing home residents line up six feet apart with their mask on and wait for the pharmacist to give them their vaccine? And it's funny <laughs> and you laugh, and, but it, it, they happen. Like, it, and, and, and you're like, why oh, just wow. That gives me good reference to how to go back and start educating you on what you're really dealing with here. These are going to be people that you're going to have to go room to room. And these are individuals that lived through world wars and Holocaust and things that have altered their perception of what's happening to them. There were times when we were talking about National Guard going in and vaccinating nursing home patients. Huh. And again, you, you, you lay the example out to somebody and say, well, you imagine you're a nursing home resident, you've lived through the Holocaust, you lived through world wars, you're cognitively got some problems and a military dressed individual comes into your facility, into your room and wants to inject you with something. I mean, just think about the traumatic process that that might elicit in someone. And those are just things that, and, and to be fair, I mean, you can't think of every scenario, but those are things that the government didn't really think about. But we were able to push through as an industry and, and define, hey, you really need to let us do this. We do this every day. We make compounded oncology drugs. We, we do all kinds of sophisticated pharmacy things and we, and we get them to nursing facilities in a safe and effective way. And eventually that won the day and we were able to do it. And now it's going back and having those same conversations and just changing the situation from well, we're not in a pandemic anymore, but imagine being an individual that has some comorbidities. Maybe they aren't very mobile and they're on 10 medications and they live at home. What kind of services do they need? Well, they need the services that generally would, would have been provided in a nursing home, but they need them at their house. And a lot of them are, are simple. Like, well, we deliver here, we deliver there. That's easy. But some of them are more complex. Now you have a person self-administering. You have a person living in, in their home who's going to make sure that you're not storing the meds in the wrong place or they're not in direct sunlight. Who's going to make sure that you actually take them or how are you going to even evaluate they're actually being taken? So there's a lot of challenges, but it does give us the opportunity to have conversations with health and human services, with the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare services and say, these services are needed. I think that's an easy conversation and they need to be fairly reimbursed because I'm not delivering meds to a hundred people 
at once. I don't have the economies of scale there. I'm delivering to somebody's house. Mm-hmm. So how does that, how do we make sure that still works? We understand you don't want to overpay for something, but by the same token, you have to pay fair value for it. So that's, those are the conversations we're having. And I think that's why, again, going back and understanding history helps us go forward with how do we innovate and, and create new things. Yeah. And that's the mission of this podcast really is to create awareness and, and to talk about these tough subjects, but also to promote our pharmacists to go out and, and talk to their state legislator, their, their U.S. congressman, because they, chances are, good chances they don't know the difference between a long-term care pharmacy and just a pharmacy in general. And so incentivizing us to go out and continue to educate and, and to get them to understand the difference, I think is critical. How are they going to vote or make legislative decisions? They don't really even understand what a nursing home or assisted living is like, or they don't understand the need of a geriatric patient, even if they're not inside of a nursing home. And then something else that, that, that you said reminded me too, that most of these patients are going to probably be in a Medicaid tax bracket, if you will. And so they don't have the ability to maybe have automation or have delivery and, and that kind of stuff. And so their need is, is, is much higher than, you know, than, than maybe what we're thinking about today as a retail patient who's getting their prescriptions through mail order. Yeah. Compliance packaging is going to be critical. Majority of patients out there do not get compliance packaging medications. We're the experts in long-term care at providing compliance packaging medication keeping them out of the hospital, out of the ER, and keeping them compliant is critical to all parts of health systems. But being able to explain that or assume that a legislator or politician knows that is is very difficult if we're not out constantly educating. Right. And I think you bring up a good point about payers. Medicaid doesn't even cover assisted living services in most states. There's a few states with waiver programs. So you have a government that is invested in skilled nursing, which to your point is almost exclusively dual eligible because you have to spend all of the money that you've spent your life building, all the wealth, Mm -hmm. before you can qualify for Medicaid. So you end up paying it all to a nursing home until you don't have any more assets and then you become Medicaid. And that same issue can be one that we see in the community setting if if we're not a little bit more intentional about how we create it. I do think the future is some investment in some level of assisted living, the government's going to have to do that. There are going to be people that, that as innovative and techy as we become, we still won't be able to take care of at home. They'll need something. It may not be the sophistication of a skilled nursing facility, but it may be something like a memory care center or some, some other congregate environment uh, where there is an economy of scale. So they'll have to pay at some point. And when they do that, a lot of those regulations will come with it. So we'll have to deal with that as an industry. But we have to find better ways of doing this. I mean, that's bottom line, and it's got to be cost efficient. Pharmacists do add a lot of value. They have to start recognizing that value that's added. And, I, and again, to, to a lot of this, I feel like is it's going to happen. It's not a question of if it will happen. It has to. Like 74 million people versus 57 million people, you have to come up with the answers. The current system cannot accommodate that. And you can't have people that are in a lower socioeconomic class having two choices live at home with no services go to a nursing home won't work they'll, they'll be you know Which i used to say today. they'll be they'll be bodies in the street yeah. people will will die because they need services that they're not getting so we have to be able to figure that out yeah and this population 
you talked about 57 million. This population is getting older and older and older. Mm. These aren't 57 million 65-year-olds. Right. These are going to be 57 million 80-year-olds, yep. 75 and 80-year-old. And so their needs are, are growing as they continue to age out. So you have the last of them, the last of that baby boomer generation will turn 65 in the next five years or so. And there'll be 75 million. But there's going to be a tens of million of patients that are over 80 years old. And they're really going to need extra care and extra help, but they're not going to be able to get into a nursing home. They're not going to want to get into a nursing home. They're just going to want to age in place. And, and so being able to provide our services and, and take that to them, those citizens who deserve it, regardless of their income status or payer status, they deserve to have the best quality of care that I believe really long-term care pharmacies specialize in and are, are the most qualified to be able to do. Yeah, and, and, and it's a great point. The fastest growing segment of the fastest growing segment of the population is the over 80. That's it. And I think another thing that sometimes people conflate is that when this last group of baby boomers hit 65, that there's some relief in sight. There's not. There just isn't any more growth. Right. So there's going to be that same size population follows them for a long time. And I think at some point uh, there's a retraction of the population. But the, the more you keep people healthy, the more you keep people living longer kind of makes up for the fact that maybe there's one or two percent less people, you know, that are 50 than are 65 today. Mm -hmm. that, that's going to end up washing, I think, at some point. So it's it's here. It's here to stay. And we've got to figure it out. And this podcast is is that hopefully part of that answer. How do we talk about what's going on innovation wise? Talk about the political issues. Talk about the movers and shakers of our industry that are out there redefining it. Talk about the historical ones that were out there and redefined it and what they did. There's a lot of great, provocative, interesting stuff out there in our little corner of the world of long-term care pharmacy. Absolutely. It's very exciting. I know that we already are creating an agenda, but the variety, the goal is to create a variety. So we're going to talk about maybe best practices for today and now, but also innovative things that some pharmacies might just be beginning to do, but things that we believe that many pharmacies are gonna to have to adopt to be able to, to really push forward and be the leader. And I think that's gonna be key for, for my thought process is how can long-term care pharmacies lead this way? How can we take this responsibility like ASCP did back in 1969 to create a focus on on being the leader in the industry. Absolutely. One of the things that we we just got word last week that we're doing a grant with USA Boxing. That's cool. And I bring it up because if you were to say long-term care pharmacy and USA Boxing, you'd say, well, it's a it's a long way to go between <laughs> that group and that group. But because of again how well long-term care pharmacy performed during the pandemic and how active we were and talking about it and pushing policy and trying to make sure that we didn't forget the nursing home population or the, the older adult population, we found ourselves in rooms with different individuals with different issues that they were facing from a pandemic perspective and a healthcare perspective. And one of them was a group that worked with USA Boxing. And they said, your pharmacy seemed to have figured out how to set up vaccine clinics. Could you work with us on our boxing events, our regional and national boxing events, so that we could make sure that our 
fan base, basically, our mm -hmm. referee base, our athlete base had access to get their flu shot, to get their COVID booster, whatever the case may be. And we said, sure. And it came at the same time that the government said, we gave U.S. Aging and the National Council on Aging $150 million to figure out how to get more people access to vaccines. So we applied and we got it and we're going to do it. And it's going to be really fun from the perspective that it will put long-term care pharmacists and pharmacy in front of the public in a much more interesting fashion. It's sure. not the nursing home pharmacist. It's, hey, that pharmacy was at the U.S. boxing event where this person qualified for the Olympics. And I went there and I got my flu shot. And all of a sudden the perception changes and those things, as odd as they may be, end up being the things where when you're on the Hill talking to a legislator about reimbursement for services, they might say, huh, I was at this boxing event and I saw a long-term care pharmacy and saw what they did. Now I don't have to have the 30-minute conversation about who we are and what we do. It's out there. So and that's just a small example of what we hope to accomplish in this podcast is not only to, to communicate with our own industry, but also the public and make, make sure that you understand as listeners and as pharmacists practicing in this space, how critical it is that what you do every day is recognized. Uh, recognized by groups like us, recognized by the people that you service, and that you self-recognize that, hey, when I take care of somebody and do a good job, you never know when that person might end up being a staffer for a member of the House of Representatives, might be a relative of a senator, and all of a sudden I have a story and a reason to connect what we do and what we're trying to do with an experience that they had. That's just a huge uh, yeah. thing for us. Well, I love the creativity with the boxing, and you know there really should be no path that we should not try to go down, if you will. And, and we are, I think we're at an apex of, of changing our culture, changing our industry a little bit. That doesn't mean that we don't maintain to be the experts in geriatric, but I love the idea. And I've seen this and I've witnessed this and experienced this. We have several long-term care pharmacies that already are doing creative ways of dispensing medications, creative non-PBM dependent ways of getting reimbursed. And, and, and that's something we wanna bring you know, throughout this, this podcast is finding different ways to sustain and, and even grow your business into different, you know, different areas. For me, ASAP, as a longtime member, I'm not an employee of ASAP, but I've been a longtime member. ASAP has really meant, meant a few main things to me. First and foremost, they've always been the voice. And then what I mean by that is the, the voice to advocate for long-term care pharmacies in our patients. And, and that's been critical because we don't have a lot of people standing up for long-term care pharmacies. It's been so specialized. I tell people, I said, here's pharmacy, here's long-term care pharmacy. We've been so specialized and, and, and forgotten about. That long-term care pharmacy definition that ASCP is fighting for is critical to define what it is that we do and why it's different. And, and that we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that in later, later podcasts. The second thing has been education. I've been able to get educated from ASCP from the time I've been a student all the way through now and, and will continue that my entire career. And the third thing, and this is where that, that, that idea on the boxing comes along, is leadership. ASCP has been a leader in our industry, been a leader forging ahead down certain paths. The whole vaccination situation that, that, that came out 
has been, you know, what was a challenge and be able to lead us through that, lead us through COVID and, and lead us, you know, throughout any industry changes. And this started again back in 1969, has carried its way through the last 50 years. And now I'm living and seeing you doing it on a day-to-day basis. I know you wake up figuring out what, what do I need to do to forge our portion of the world, our portion of pharmacy forward. And and, and that kind of leadership that ASAP has has shown and, and now continues with you is, is critical uh, to our future. And I think this podcast is just another example of, of uh, Chad and ASAP showing leadership to help us think outside the walls of the nursing home. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would add two things to that. One is networking and fun. Like this should be fun. This podcast is going to be fun. I know it's going to be fun because you're here with me doing it. I know talking to some of the, I don't know that they would love being called historical figures, but some of the people that were the real, yes, yes, real movers and shakers in long-term care pharmacy. These were really fun people and they loved getting together, whether it was at our meetings or other industry meetings and having a good time talking to each other. So much of this industry was built on learning what the other person was doing in their area of the country and saying, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to try that in my pharmacy or with my practice. And that has to be the backbone of any professional organization is if we don't get together and have a good time, share stories and learn from each other, then we'll, there's no point in doing it. So hopefully this podcast exudes that because it is our experience that it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of networking. We're going to meet a lot of great people through this process. We're going to share them with everybody listening. And uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, that's episode one, the origin story on our experience, an ASCP podcast and uh, look for future drops. Uh, We're going to go through this process, going through history, going through people that are interesting, current and in from the past. We're going to talk about raging against the machine and what are the the different innovations and technology features of of this industry. And we're just going to have a good, good time. Thanks for being here, Tom. Thanks for being my co-host. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a blast. Yeah. And in, in the future, you'll hear for the rest of our ASCP team that participates in this, particularly our uh, producer Krista Spivey, who is ducking behind her TV screens. You can't see her anyway, but you will in the future. And we're gonna have a, a good time together putting these shows on for everybody. So we'll see you next time on our experience.